Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today Attorney Erwin Kramer, the managing partner of the insurance defense law firm of Kramer & Conley in Baltimore, Maryland. Erwin has served as lead counsel on behalf of insurance carriers worldwide. He has taught at some of the most prestigious law schools in the nation, and he also founded the Legal Television Network, which is designed to enhance public access to legal information. Erwin, we're very pleased to have you with us today. Same here, John. Today's topic is alternate fee arrangements, or AFAs, between insurance companies and law firms, and Brendan Noonan is going to lead off with our first question. Uh, Erwin, what's wrong with billing by the hour? Nothing is inherently wrong with billing by the hour. An honest day's work ought to reap an honest day's pay. The problem with billing by the hour, however, is that it's a little bit like paying an author by the word. You can't expect a concise, efficient manuscript when that is the payment plan. And so even when an attorney wants to do an efficient job and the like, there's still going to be that tension, that concern, at least on the carrier's part, that, you know what, maybe they're taking a little bit too much time with this. And so it actually creates an adversarial relationship between the attorney and the client. The greater efficiency an attorney is able to obtain, which would certainly work to the client's advantage, actually works to the attorney's disadvantage. If I cut the time of a task in half, certainly I'm being much more efficient, but I'm also cutting my pay in half at the same time. And therein lies the problem. It creates a lot of tension, a lot of adversity in what should be a very cooperative symbiotic relationship. So would you recommend that carriers use flat fees instead? Well, that's a good question because a lot of people think of AFAs or alternate fee agreements as flat fees, and that's not necessarily the case. There are times when flat fees can work quite well, but those times are rather limited, usually limited to very simple cases that are exceedingly predictable in terms of time. Usually they're not very complex cases. In those instances, carriers have been using flat fees for years to great advantage. The problem, however, comes in when cases get a little bit more complex. Now, sometimes you can break down tasks into flat fees per task. Usually cradle-to-grave arrangements don't work very well in more complex cases. But oftentimes, flat fees bend the stick too much in the other direction. In other words, whereas hourly billing encourages the attorney to spend more time on a case, flat fees actually provide a disincentive for working up a case. Because the more I work on a case that I'm only going to get a certain flat fee or even a capped fee, uh, frankly, the the less I make. Uh, So there is then a disincentive to work, and you still wind up with a similar problem that pits attorney against client. In other words, the interests just aren't aligned. Erwin, what would you recommend in cases that may be too complex, then, for flat fees? Well, you don't have to throw out the baby with the bathwater. You can still retain some elements of hourly billing in what I call a collared fee arrangement. In other words, you're the carrier, I'm your counsel, and 
after paying me by the hour for a few hours of case evaluation, you and I work up together a realistic litigation budget. And let's say that for a particular case, we agree that fees ought to approximate $50,000. Now, neither of us are going to take the risk of doing a flat fee of $50,000. I mean, what if we beat the budget considerably? Or what if it takes much more work than we anticipated? So what we do is we set a collar. Let's say we agree to a 15% collar around that fee. In other words, if the fee, if the hourly billings total between, in this case, 42500 or 57500 in other words, if it comes within that 15% range of $50,000, then I'll get my normal hourly billing. Why? Because we met expectations, our budgeting was accurate, and therefore the fees matched what we anticipated. But what happens if I beat the planned budget? For example, let's say my billings are only $30,000. Well, in that case, I would get, per our agreement, maybe 50% of what I've saved you below the collar. And that could be a very nice incentive for efficient work. Carriers like it when I wrap up the case rather quickly and efficiently, and so that provides an incentive for efficiency. But what happens if I go over expectations? I mean, I can't control litigation perfectly. It's subject to a lot of things that are beyond my control. What happens if my actual hourly billings come to $80,000? In that case, you and I, we split the difference. We share the risk that maybe we go over. And so I'll only get half of my normal hourly rate to the extent that my hours go above 57500 that goes above the collar so that I'm not taking total risk on myself of um, a case that will take more work than we had anticipated, as I would in the case of a flat fee. But instead, I do get some payment, but at the same time, it helps to minimize some of your exposure to legal fees. So that's what the collared fee arrangement is all about. And that's something that I think a lot of carriers need to consider ways to work with their counsel to help gain some degree of control over their legal fees, but at the same time retain flexibility because the world doesn't always work out as we planned. Erwin, are more law firms getting away from the billable hour to improve relationships with insurance carriers? Not really. And that's simply because I think there are a lot of lawyers that would like to experiment with this approach, but carriers themselves are very reluctant to change. We are in an industry that might pride itself as being on the cutting edge, but frankly, insurance companies are all about containing risk. And the risk of change is something that we are often, as an industry, reluctant to take on. And so still the billable hour is what is the prevalent method of paying attorneys. And what we're finding is more and more that billable hour is creating increased tension between carrier and counsel. And that can't be good for the industry. It's certainly not good for lawyers. And I think many lawyers are recognizing that it would be nice to have an alternative to the straight-up billable hour. 
Uh, do insurance carriers pressure firms to have billing records audited by an objective party? Well, they don't pressure firms. They don't have to. They require it because if my carrier decides that it's going to audit my hourly billings by the use of a third-party auditor to control what they call their legal spend, that's something that I have to adhere to under their defense counsel guidelines. So I more and more have to submit my invoices electronically, and it goes through the computer of a third-party auditing firm that has no knowledge of the case whatsoever, doesn't understand the complexity, and really isn't my client at all. But what they've done is they've promised my carriers that they can reduce their exposure to legal expenses by maybe 20%. So to deliver, what happens is my invoices sometimes will get cut by that amount. Now you have to learn that there are certain things you don't say in your, on your timesheet and the like in order to maximize your pay and reduce those cuts. But that's the approach that a lot of carriers are taking, and as you can well imagine, that does not do much to enhance the attorney-carrier relationship. It actually, quite frankly, does quite a bit to harm that relationship because you're putting a middleman in between that actually thrives off of the tension in that relationship. What should insurance carriers focus on when securing a relationship with a law firm? Well, it's the relationship with the law firm, and oftentimes that is, um, is not focused on at all. Ultimately, if you don't trust your attorney, if you don't hire someone that you trust has your best interests at heart and is looking at the long-term relationship, you're not going to be happy. You first want to select counsel that understand the nature of the insurance defense business is not to do absolutely everything you possibly can do in a case, but rather to pick and choose selectively what will get the most bang for the defense dollar and someone that will communicate well, but also someone that shows the detail in their billing practice. And I think carriers, looking at it on a case-by-case basis, can distinguish between counsel who are trying to make a fast buck on one case versus a law firm that sees the longer-term picture and the productivity of a good, healthy relationship. The problem comes down at the corporate level when you have to make decisions across the board. And in those instances, I think there are some real problems. I also think one important factor is a carrier ought to ask counsel, what do you think about alternative fee agreements? Are you willing to think outside the box with us and work in partnership to come up with something that's a bit more sane as a solution to legal billing. And if they say no to that out of the box, that to me would be a red flag, maybe not to hire that firm. I would want an attorney that is willing to work with me, willing to consider other approaches so that we can move forward with a very productive long-term relationship. Thanks for joining us today, Owen. My pleasure. That was attorney Erwin Kramer from the defense law firm of Kramer & Conley in Baltimore, Maryland. Special thanks to Brendan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any suggestions for your future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. 
I'm John Zuba, joined by Brennan Noonan, and now this message. BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. 